night Bible study. I am so grateful, Lord, that we have a, a time when we, like today, and I trust, Lord, that everybody wasn't voted today. Today was the day. And, Lord, I, I went, and as I went, there was, the place was full where I went to vote. But, Lord, I'm thankful that in this country we have the privilege to vote. Now, Lord, there's not many countries in the world have this, but we can do that here. And, Lord, for those of us that are the moral majority, we need to vote. We need to make sure we do. And, Lord, I thank you for every person that went today and voted their convictions. And I hope, Lord, that the church at least went and voted to vote in the men and women that believe like we do, at least to, to the best of our knowledge. Father, I want to thank you for those men and women that will come into office, the ones that are there, the new ones that will be there. I ask you to bless them. I ask you to watch over them. I ask you to give them knowledge and wisdom and understanding and revelation from your word and let them be, come under conviction by the Holy Spirit so that, Lord, they will be the men and women of God that we need to rule this nation. Because, Lord, when good men do nothing, evil prevails. And, Lord, we've got too much of that. That's why this video we just saw about this police officer that endangered his life and no telling how many other people's lives, there's many times through many of those intersections it could have been a fraction of a second difference in life and death for lots of people. But, Lord... You watched over them, and then you stopped that man. And, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for being with us, for watching over us, protecting us. And I thank you, Lord, for your word. When you show us who we are and what we can do as sons and daughters of God. How I worship you, Lord, for the privilege to be one of those sons. How I worship you to be, and thank you that I have the privilege to be a member of the body of Christ. Lord, there's not anything, anything as blessed as being a child of God. Thank you, Lord, for the abundant life you provide for all of us, although many of us never find it. It's here. It's available. It's in your word. And, Lord, we thank you for it. We thank you for all the wonderful things. We thank you for the salvation you provided for the whole world, although most of them never find it, and most of them don't because... Those of us that do know it are too busy doing other things to tell other people about Jesus. Lord, help us this week that we will tell people about you. Help us to be an example as we go. But thank you for that wonderful free salvation that you provided. Lord, and you provided it for the whole world. Jesus, the Savior, belongs to the whole world. They just don't know it. And Lord, thank you for being our healer. You prayed that price at the cross also. Many of us never learn it. Thank you, Lord, for paying for our sins so we don't have to sin anymore. But most of us never find that either. But help us, Lord, so we'll learn that as your sons and daughters, we don't have to walk in sin. We can walk free of it. We don't have to walk in sickness and disease. We can walk free of it. Lord, we don't have to walk in bondage with the devil. You came to set the captives free. Help us to learn and understand these things so we can live the abundant life. And then as we learn how to live the abundant life, we will be able to share the truth with others. So they will be able to learn and understand the truth of your word so they can walk in obedience to it too. Father, thank you for your word.
thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. And Lord, again, thank you for all of our government officials and all the people that uh, rule over us daily. Help them and thank you for them. That, Lord, if it wasn't for them, we'd have anarchy all over this country. We wouldn't just have one man ripping through the streets of Dallas like Oscar was chasing. We'd have them everywhere. We've got far too many of them the way it is. So, Lord, help us. And help especially all of those police officers here in the Dallas area as well as everywhere else, Lord. But since we live here, help these men and women to be the men and women of God that they need to be, that they can pray right so they can stop these things from happening so these terrible things don't happen to these poor little children. Lord, that little nine-year-old girl, I don't even know who she is, but I know, Lord, that her day was totally upset and ruined that day. And, Lord, I ask you to bless her and I ask you to video edit out that terrible event that happened in her life. Lord, and I rebuke every devil of hell that would have tried to enter her body because of that sin, because it was not her fault. Lord, I rebuke every demon over that precious little girl and ask you to bless her, Lord, as she grows up and video edit out that event so she'll never remember it, never be able to recall it. It'll be gone forever. So she can not even think about that. Not, the devil will not be able to call that to her remembrance ever again. And Father, thank you for the privilege to come and ask you for anything, and you'll do it for us. And Lord, I thank you for doing it for that little girl, because I've asked you, although I don't even know her, I saw her there on the video, and I know it needs to happen for her. Lord, bless us now as we read and study your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Wow. That's quite an event. Quite an event. All right. Let's see if we can turn over here to Titus. I'm going to talk a little bit in the book of Titus tonight. Titus chapter 1, verse 10. How true this is. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. You know, there are many unruly back then, and I guess we've got a whole lot of them today, don't we? Things haven't changed much, have they? We've got these guys, these deceivers, vain talkers and deceivers. And, you know, when I think about this and how many of these kind of people they are today, I remember one time, especially since we're talking about police officers tonight, I remember a great friend of mine that went to church with me at Louisville. He was a great police officer, and then he, he got somehow got over into the uh, team that goes in uh, the drug enforcement stuff. Uh, and and he, he became a special agent. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't uh, dress like a normal human being anymore. You know, he became one of the hoods. 
you know, he didn't shave and wore terrible-looking clothes and all kinds of stuff so he could fit right in with uh, that kind of people. And, uh, uh, oh, yeah, that's my cell phone. Uh, uh, that's not mine now. Don't get me wrong, but I hadn't turned mine off either, so uh, I will do that. Now that I thought that I've heard that would go off, I'll turn mine off. <laughs> but anyway, I thought about him and how, how great a Christian, how great a man he was, and how loving he was with his family and everything else. And then he got over into this world. And one day he was at my house. And he brought his car out. He had a little problem with his car, and he wanted me to help him fix some little something on his car. So he brought it out to see if I'd help him, and I told him I would. While we're out there, I know I told him, I said, you know, you seem extremely depressed today. What's wrong with you? He looked at me and said, Thurman, there's not any good people left in the world. I see, that's the way he was seeing it. I said, what do you mean, no good people left in the world? He said, even the man that is my partner, I can't even turn my back on him because I don't know if he's working for us or for them. He said, we've got police officers that are in this narcotics deal that are taking under the table money from those people, and I don't know if I can turn my back on one of the guys I think is my buddy, and they kill me. He said, I can't trust nobody. He said, there is no good people left in the world. I looked him right now and I hit him on the shoulder and I said, look me right in the eye. I said, here's one. Here's one. I'm your brother in Christ. I said, so don't say there's no good people left in the world. I said, I, I can't even live where you live. I said, I, I go and live and work and, and feel comfortable I said, people that I work with don't carry knives. They don't carry weapons. We don't have to worry about nobody stabbing you in the back. Uh, none of those kind of things. But I said, I can't even fathom where you live. Going out in the middle of the night, you know, two in the morning, going downtown to a drug bust or, or trying to buy stuff or, you know, for, or sell something to, or, or buy something from somebody off the street to see if they're a drug dealer or whatever, trying to be one of those guys and, and maybe get killed. You know, but there's many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Paul told us this 2,000 years ago when he was writing this letter to Titus. You know, I guess it's been like that forever, hasn't it? We go all the way back to the beginning, and when we had one man and one woman, they had two sons, and one of them killed the other one. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Somebody said, well, if we could just start over. No, it wouldn't make any difference. You know, between the human being and the devil, we got a real problem, and the problem can only be solved by one thing, and that's knowing the love of God. Walking in His love. That's the only way that you can walk in the God kind of peace is to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and then walk with Him. But you know, we are the church we don't have to be like these people he's talking about here. We don't have to be a deceiver. You know, we don't have to be unruly. You know, we can be very ruly. And we can be... We're supposed, he says, whose mouths, in verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped. 
We must stop them. Whose mouths must be stopped. They subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not, and they do it for filthy lucre or filthy money's sake. They're out there doing this for money. Well, I will have to say, whenever I got in the ministry, this is the one thing that really bugs my son. He hates to turn on Christian television and they're there saying, if you don't send us a donation, we're going to go off the air next week. He said, if I see something, I just turn them off. He said, that turns me off. I said, son, but you know it does cost money to run a ministry. He said, dad, I know it. And I know the world's got to advertise and everything, but I just think that God's kingdom ought to be run different. I said, well, I'd agree with you. I think it should. So whenever the Lord put me in the ministry and I started giving everything away and I never asked nobody for nothing nowhere, Tim says, Dad, at least you're doing it the way I feel you ought to be doing it. He said, you don't ask nobody for money. You go on your radio shows. You never, ever say anything about money. You never say, we're going to go off the air if you don't send us money next week. You know, I've even had people call me and say, you know, you ought to ask for money on the radio. I said, no. I just tell God I need the money and He's going to move on your heart. And if He don't, then I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. I'm going to go back to engineering. You know, I said, I made a living in engineering. If God, if He's not big enough to take care of the ministry, then I need to be doing something else. And so, I think that I technically think that's the way the church should operate. You know, I think people, of course, people should have the freedom when they come to church to give. Of course, they've got to know that we're supposed to tithe. If we don't tithe, wherever we go to church, if we don't tithe, God Himself said He's going to put us under a curse. In fact, when it comes to people teaching things, when Jesus, when the little woman that had the two little tiny mites, and two little pennies we'll call them, and that's all she had. And some of the big boys had dropped in big chunks of money that day. And she gave those two little pennies, but that's all she had. And she gave those two. You know what Jesus said about her? He said, she has given more than all the rest put together. Because she gave out of her poverty, she gave all that she had. And so, he is what's going to be obligated to bless her more than anybody else there. Now, the greatest testimony that I've ever heard in my whole life, now I think Caitlin's testimony is an awesome testimony, but it don't compare nothing to the little four-year-old boy that was down in Alabama that was born blind with no ears, arms locked, legs locked, and 26 incurable diseases. And that night... A.A. Allen asked the people at the beginning of the service, don't just give God an offering tonight. Give Him a sacrifice. Well, there was a woman there that was the mother of this little child. She had been there all week long and asking God to heal this little boy. And he hadn't done nothing. This little boy is still sick and afflicted. She had driven from another state to bring this little boy to one of A.A. Allen's meetings and you don't drive to another state with a physically, mentally handicapped child if you haven't heard that God's doing great things in that ministry. You know, when I was in the Southern Baptist Convention, we never had nobody bring a person like that to one of our teachings. 
You know, because we didn't believe God could do it anyway. So, you know, why bring it? You know, so, you know, in fact, I never went to the church and asked for prayer myself when I got sick. That's a shame too, isn't it? You know, but I was just as dense as the rest of us, you know. I didn't know what was available from God's Word. So, it's because we don't know and because we don't study enough. So, but anyway, here's this woman, and she had $20 left to her name. That's all the money she had in the world, and her car was out of gas. This was the last meeting. Tomorrow, she was going to have to drive back to another state home with a car out of gas with a handicapped child, and she had one $20 bill left. When A.A. Allen asked, said, don't give God an offering tonight when the buckets are passed. Give Him a sacrifice. That woman gave her last $20 in that bucket. Let me tell you, that was a sacrifice. And this was, goodness, I forget how many, this had been many 40 years ago, I guess, or something. So $20 40 years ago was quite a bit of money. But that's all she had. And she gave it. Well, that night, after A.A. started preaching, God showed him a vision, and in the vision showed him that little boy and said, told him he was there, and there was a, just a little group of people there that night, 4,000 people. Those are the kind of meetings he had. God showed up to do such mighty things. I mean, people showed up at his meetings. Well, whenever God showed him that woman and that little child, he said, woman, you're here. Bring that baby down here. So she brought this little piece of flesh that had no eyes, no ears, tongue hanging out its mouth, arms locked that couldn't be moved, legs twisted and locked to its stomach, had all 26 incurable diseases. And A.A. A. Allen reached down and picked up that baby and held it up in his arms and asked the Father in the name of Jesus to do a miraculous healing on that baby. And before 4,000 people's eyes, that baby was instantly, totally, completely made whole. Arms came loose. Eyes formed in his head. Ears grew out. And the tongue went back in his mouth. And a little boy that had never seen his mother, never heard a thing, didn't have no ears, didn't have no eyes, jumped down out of A.A. Allen's arms and ran off the edge of a platform and jumped into a woman's arms he ain't never seen and hollered, Mama, let me tell you, if I thought I could give God $20 or $20 million to see do something like that again, I'd try to get it somewhere with you, Ty. <laughs> but, see, you can't move His hand like that. All I'm saying is because she gave out of her poverty. People said, well, she gave that to A.A. Allen. No, she gave that to God. And He showed up for her that night. And He done something that only 4,000 people got to see. But I'd give anything almost I have to have been standing in that meeting on the front row that night to have watched God do that event in that child. I just wish they had that on video today. I'd give quite a bit just for a copy of the video to see God do those kind of things. So what's wrong with us today? If God shows up once in a great while like that to do something, and this is a very well-documented event. I know a man personally today that was alive standing on the platform that day when that happened. I know this man. I've met him. I've talked to him. He, when he was a 20-year-old young man, he was the song leader for A.A. A. Allen. He was standing on the platform 
when he saw that happen. And he's still alive today. How would you like to see God do something like that? Wow, yes, I would love to see the Lord do something like that. But what is it that we can't turn His hand like that today? What is it we do that's wrong? You know, why is it He did such great and mighty things for A.A. Allen? Why did He do them for Smith Wigglesworth? Why did He do them for John Lake? And why does He do such, Lord, forgive me, little things for me compared to what You did for them? Lord, I'm grateful for everything you do. In fact, this last week, I've got to tell you this testimony right here. There was a young lady that was at a healing school a couple of months ago. In fact, she came to two or three in a row. When she heard about our ministry, she had numerous incurable things wrong with her body. She was a precious 40-something-year-old, 46-year-old woman. And she had some of the finest doctors in the world working with her some of the most expensive doctors, and they couldn't get her healed. She heard about our ministry, she, and she had like 30 things wrong with her. She came here to a couple of healing schools, and we prayed with her. Well, she was rapidly getting well of all these things, so when we went to Lubbock, of course, she was there, so she lives in Lubbock. She was partly or heavily involved in getting us out there. I know she was behind it. We went out there to that church, and it was advertised. She took out a full-page ad in the Lubbock paper about us. It was on GLC, and we had about 325 people at the meeting out there in Lubbock. I think they said it was either the largest or second largest crowd that church had ever had, and so it was awesome to see God move. And then we prayed for people Another thing that when she called me the next day and Monday and told me, she said, the pastors here had never seen anything happen like y'all did. They've never seen that many people here at a healing school and then y'all take four teams of people and take the people and lovingly, kindly interview and check each person and stay with them from 5 o'clock in the afternoon till 9 or 9.30 at night, till four teams had prayed for every person in this place. They said they'd never seen that done. She said it changed the way they look at ministry. But she said, the good news is, I had flown my doctor. I called my doctor, and he's in New York. And his office is in New York. She bought him a round-trip airplane ticket and flew him to Lubbock, and said, I want you, I'll pay for your time, but I want you in the healing school Saturday. And he was. He came. And after the healing school, she said, now that I want you to, t and said, I want you to bring your equipment that's necessary to do the test on me, on these whatever, what, 25 or 30 things that's wrong with her. I want to know where I am now since I've been prayed for. I believe I'm healed. Her doctor, after the healing school Monday, ran all the tests on her and even the incurable things, everything in her body was perfect. Is that awesome? She said, my doctor was jumping off the wall. He said, some of the, the uh, I forget what they call it, the, uh, Whatever it was, it was toxins or what it was, things that was in her body, the 
leads or whatever it was that she'd got in there, said, there's no way they can be removed. There's nothing but man can do to remove those. And when she told me that, I said, oh, faith will move them. Faith will kick them out. And we ask the Father in the name of Jesus to dissolve all those things and flow those things out of her body and make her body perfect in the name of Jesus. And He did. And took them all out. And her doctor, he said, I've got to have a bunch of this man's teachings. So they went up there and they got a whole bunch of them. He took them back. And she said he called her and said all he did all the way home. And he said, I'm going to listen to every one of these things. I'm going to learn everything this man has learned. He said, if he can get people healed like this and what he knows, I need to know. He said he was bouncing off the walls. Isn't that awesome? He ran every test. And so Susan is her name. She said, I will try to make it to the next healing school or at least one of them in the very near future. Because she said, I'm not very good at standing before a crowd telling my testimony but she said, after what God has done for me, that's the least I can do for Him is to stand before the people and give my personal testimony of what God has done for me. She's a grateful woman. But anybody is grateful. And I told her, I said, Susan, if the thousands of hours I'd spent studying had only healed you, it would have been worth it. It would have been worth it just to see one person change. But she said, what you've taught me has changed my life forever, too. She said, all my life I've had in the business world, I've had one foot in the business world and one, one foot in the kingdom of God. She said, I kind of walked in the world and walked with God. But she said, that's not going to happen to me anymore. From now on, I'm going to have both feet in the kingdom of God. She said, I'm not going to walk in the world at all. I'm just going to serve God 100%. Well, see, I taught her something. I taught her that you have to be obedient and you have to be pure and you have to be holy. And if you walk with God, then by His stripes you are healed. I said, if you don't get rid of sin, it don't work. She said, it's right there, isn't it? In red and black and white. How is it we miss it? I said, I don't know, but I sure missed it a long time. But now then, we're getting it. Now then, these people that are teaching the wrong things, the writer here to Titus says their mouths must be stopped. They subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not to teach. You wonder, is there anybody today teaching anything that shouldn't be taught? In the church, too. I mean, you know, whenever you go to church, you know, and like the guy the other day came to me and he said, you know, uh, I, I used to be a missionary and said, my wife and I, we had a, I had a, went through a divorce and, all right, and I'll take it, but his wife died. He said, my wife died and, and my wife went through a bad divorce and said, while they was waiting for the divorce, I met her, and since I was such a kind gentleman, she fell in love with me, and we fell in love with each other so deeply that we wanted to get married, but we couldn't because her divorce wasn't final. So said, we wanted to get involved sexually, but we knew it was wrong. We're Christians. 
So we went to our pastor and told him the circumstances and asked for his counsel. And he says, uh, since you're going to get married, it will be okay. You can go ahead and start having a formal sexual relationship. Do you know that doesn't line up with the Word? Do you know that's bad counsel? That came from a preacher. Do you know what it done to that man? They had been married 25 years when Cheryl and I met them. And Cheryl knows this case. She was with me when this, we ministered to this couple together. Six months after they got married, because of their disobedience to God's Word, the enemy made him impotent, and he could not have sex six months after they got married. So for 24 and a half years, they had no sex because they couldn't wait a couple of months to have sex. You think they paid for that dearly? They paid dearly. I told them both. I said, I'll tell you what, the God we serve is the most awesome, forgiving God you'll ever meet. I said, if both of you will repent and tell God how sorry you are for what you've done, and that you'll repent and say, Lord, we knew in the back of our mind, in our heart, what we've done was wrong. But we wanted counsel and we wanted somebody to say what we wanted to hear, and we heard it. And so even though we knew it was wrong, we went ahead and did it. But Lord, we repent. We ask you to forgive us. And they did. I said, okay, now then, Jesus told me that I could ask Him for anything in John fourteen thirteen, and He would do it. So I said, Father, I know You're a mighty God. You're a forgiving God. And I know that these two have asked forgiveness. I know You've forgiven them. I said, they have been cheated for 24 and a half years. I ask You to restore Him and make Him normal where they can enjoy their female and malehood together like you originally planned it in the beginning. And three weeks later, that man came back to this church on Sunday and told me he was normal again. Now, is that awesome? Does it pay good dividends to sin? It pays terrible dividends to sin. But does it pay good dividends to repent and believe God's Word? See, once you do something wrong, once you do something wrong and the devil comes in, the average person, if it's something that the doctors can't cure, well, they just think, well, there's nothing I can do. And many people living in the church today have no idea of the restoration power of our God. I mean, he's, He's the most forgiving God. You can't imagine how forgiving God is. But He's awesome. He he wants us to live an abundant life. All He's asking you and me to do today is walk holy in obedience to His Word and do what He says. He said, if you will, I will bless you. I will bless you. But there's people out there that will teach you the wrong things. They're saying right here, these people's mouths must be stopped. And they're doing this for money. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, saith. The Christians are always liars, or however you say that, 
They are always liars and evil beasts and slow bellies. Slow bellies. Isn't that a strange thing? It says over in the sideline of my Bible, a little tiny letter said, Idle gluttons. Don't you sure it says too? These little, these gluttons, slow bellies. Then look what he has to say about this. This witness is true. That's what they are. You reckon there's people like these people around today? Oh yeah, there's a bunch of them still around today. I mean, there's always those people that want to lay around and do nothing and let you do all the work. You know, now when dinner serves, they want to be called to the table. And whenever dinner serves, they don't want to eat just one or two things. They want to eat a bunch. And we have that problem too. Every one of us as children of God, in fact, I, I told Cheryl, I had to repent all the way home Sunday night. She's laughing because she knows what I'm going to say. Sunday night after church, we went out to eat. And we went to one of those places that serves all you can eat. Now, that's the first mistake I made. Don't, I should not do that. Because, in fact, right after Cheryl and I got married, I took her to the Golden Corral. And she pigged out so bad that night. She fussed me all the way home. She said, you will never, ever, ever be allowed to take me back to Golden Corral. I told her, I said, you need to learn a little discipline, girl. <laughs> And then I go do what I did. <laughs> See, it always comes home to you. Don't ever say anything wrong. Uh, <laughs> so I, I went. I mean, after we ate, I mean, I on the way home, I was hurting Sunday night. I mean, I was miserable. I, I really was miserable. In fact, we got home, and we hadn't been home an hour, and I was in her reading emails and everything else, and she goes and makes me a cup of hot tea, which if I could have drank another mouthful, I would have exploded. I never did take a, a not even a taste of that tea. I, I mean, I couldn't drink it. And so she went somewhere after little come back in the hole, I'm sitting there in my office like this. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to run some of that down somewhere, get it to come out or do something. I said, I can't believe I have overeat so much. I said, you talk about an idle glutton. I mean, you know, or a slow belly. I said, I am one of them. So, see, there's still a few of us around today. <laughs> and last Sunday night, I was one of them. Oh, my goodness gracious. But I didn't eat anything till late that afternoon, Monday. It took that long for me. Why in the world do we abuse ourselves like that? I don't know. I'm gonna, I, I made the Lord a promise that I said, Lord, I'm going to do my best to never abuse myself like that again. I don't know why I just kept I said, it was, sure was good. And, of course, I had an instigator right across the table from me. He said, isn't those the best beans? Isn't that the best, isn't that the best stuff you ever eat? <laughs> Elders, he, was, oh, he was a gritter right across. He said, show tell him. He was over and said, isn't that the best chicken you ever eat? Isn't that the best steak? Oh, he said, isn't that mashed potatoes great? Isn't that gravy good? I said, yes, it's good. Isn't that the best corn you ever eat? 
so naturally I would just take it out. It was good, I will have to say. And I did, but I paid for it. Oh, did I pay for it. Oh, I'm going to tell you what. I didn't sleep very good that night either. When I turn over, you know, you hear it slosh. <laughs> when you turn over your side, your belly falls out on the bed. You think, oh, Lord, what have I done? Oh, my goodness. Well, so I can, I can know what Paul's saying. Some of these slow bellies. You know. Hey, I, I can associate with that. I've been there and done that. Oh, goodness. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us all. Oh, goodness. Now then, if, if, if none of y'all ever done that, you know, I, I, I would have not told that if I didn't think some of y'all do that once in a while yourself, but we're probably all guilty. It said, although this witness is true, wherefore rebuke them. Oh, my goodness. Oh. Okay, I, I'll, I'll receive my rebuke. I won't do it. I was rebuking them. But he didn't just say rebuke them. He says rebuke them sharply. You know, when you see your brother do something like that, you need to rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Isn't that amazing? We're not, I don't think, I think what he's trying to tell us here, we shouldn't go out and do those kind of things. Now, if you do it once in a great while, it may be one thing, but if you do it every night, then it really begins, if it becomes a lifestyle, will you? I really think that's what he's saying. Hey, you need to rebuke them. I think about a preacher I know one time. He said, the Lord spoke to me one time and told me to do something. He said, there was another preacher at this meeting. He said, this guy was 500 pounds. He said, he was huge. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and pointed my face. He said, you see that man right over there, so-and-so? He said, yes, Lord. He said, you see how fat he is? He said, yes, Lord. He said, you tell him, if he don't take control of his flesh, in six months he's going to be dead. He said, Lord, I can't go over and tell him. He said, you do what I tell you. He said, I couldn't do it. I just thought, I just can't walk up to him and say, Brother, the Lord just spoke to me and told me you're either going to take control of your flesh or you're going to be dead in six months. He said, I just could not bring myself to do what God says. Has anybody ever had God tell them to do something that they didn't do? I bet you nearly every one of us have. You know, we've had God tell us to do something. I mean, I think about another man that one night he said, I was sitting in a meeting and there was a lady over there and she was sitting there. She looked like she had lost her last friend. And said, I looked over and I thought, Lord, that lady, she is so depressed. And he said, I heard clear. Get up and said, I'm right in a church service. And the preacher's preaching. I heard a voice say, get up and go over and slap her on the face. He said, I rebuke you, devil. And he said, Lord said, this is not the devil. This is me. He said, I'm telling you, go over and slap her in the face. He said, Lord, I, he said, I, I can't. He said, God, I thought you was a loving God. <laughs> he said, Lord, I can't do that. He said, Lord, everybody thinks I'm crazy. He said, I can't get up and go slap that woman in the face. I never slapped a woman in the face in my life. And he said, I sat there and she was so depressed. And he said, God finally told me, he said, if you don't do what I tell you, she's going to die tonight. He said, I said, oh, God. He said, Lord, I've, I know I've heard you clear, but said, Lord, if I've made a mistake, forgive me. 
but I know I've got to do what you told me. He said, I just got up. Preacher's still preaching. I just get up and I walked over and said, ma'am, will you please forgive me? Bam! Slapped her right in the face. And said the woman got up and... Oh. She said, what was I, why was I meditating on that? He said, what, what, what's wrong with you? She said, I was just fixing to go out in the car and get a gun and kill myself. Now, do you think God knows what He's doing? You know how hard it would be to be that man, to get up and do? That night, that man saved that woman's life. And he did exactly what God told him to do. But I can only imagine if that had been me and he'd have told me to do that in a meeting. Now, he's told me to do things in meetings before, and I've done it. And it always turned out to be exactly what he wanted done because he was glorified in what happened. But I've never had him tell me to do nothing like that. And if he did, that's when I'd have to say, Oh, Lord, I, Lord, we got to be sure this is you this time. Can you imagine God telling you to do something like that in a meeting? Just get up and go and slap somebody in the face? Somebody say, God would never tell nobody that. Well, let me tell you, he told this man that, and whenever he found out, it stopped the whole service, and the lady got up, and she said, I was meditating on just going outside and killing myself. Guess what he did? He slapped the devil out of her. That's what he did. I mean, she was meditating on killing herself. See, but God, He knows what He's doing. You know, I mean, you know, well, you go back and think about some of the times when, when people like Smith Wigglesworth, how would you like to have been at the meeting the night when they brought the little child up that was all handicapped, they handed a baby to him, and he took it like that and just turned it loose and drop-kicked it right out into the crowd of people. How would you like to have seen that? <laughs> this really happened. I read the story. Did you ever read that story, Ty? You read that too, haven't you? He drop-kicked a little tiny baby. I mean, here they brought this little handicapped, snarled-up baby for healing, and he just looked at it, and he just turned it loose gently and booted it with his leg, and it went right out in the congregation, and somebody grabbed it, and everybody said, He's crazy! They want to kill him! And somebody said, The baby's normal! And he looked, and the baby was completely healed. They said, What did you do? He said, I just kicked the devil out of her. That's what he did. See, he was so tuned in to God, he knew what to do in every case. You know, but everybody thought he was crazy. You know, I'm going to tell you, when you start serving God and doing everything God tells you to do, there's going to be a few times people are going to think you're crazy. You know, so don't worry about it. If God tells you to do something, you do it. You know, that's the whole thing. The Lord has spoken to me many times and told me to do things. And some of the times He's told me to do things, I thought, what is this? You know, what do you mean go here or go there or do this or whatever? But every time I did what He told me to do, it turned out really good. It always worked out. So you just got to learn to trust the King. You know, He is a mighty, awesome God. You know, and I, I, I've got, when I talk about hearing God's voice, there was a gentleman Sunday came up to me and he said, Thurman, I hear you talk about hearing God's voice. He said, I've heard that one time in my life. One time only. And I said, well, would you like to share it with me? He said, oh, yeah. He said, I want to get to where he hears voice as often as you do because said, I heard it only once. And he said, many years ago, I was working for Mr. Rescue. 
and said it was a girl with diabetes that had a, in a fairly new car that a belt broke, a serpentine belt. She called her father. He came out. He tried to put the belt on and couldn't. He went and got one and tried to put it on and couldn't. And so they called, go out there and Mr. Rescue, so they called, and I got the call, said I went out there, and he said when I got there, it was an extremely hot day in the summertime, and said it was a fairly new car, but there was no belt diagram as to how to put the belt on. So he said, I couldn't figure out how to put it on either. So he said, by this time, a total of about two hours had taken place. This girl needs her uh, insulin really bad, and she said, I've got to get some insulin. And he said, well, I'll tell you what. I'll stay here with your car. You know, we'll have a record tow it for you. And since I can't put the belt on, and you go ahead and let your dad take you home where you have some insulin. She said, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make sure they don't damage my car. And she said, well, okay, if you're going to stay, there's no use for me to stay. Then would you sign my ticket? She said, yes. And he said she wrote a very nasty letter or note on my ticket because I was not able to do this. And how she had to sit out here in the sun all this time. And she signed it. So he said, I thanked her and got in the car, and I started to drive off. And I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, would you please bless that girl? And he said, I'm looking right through the windshield of my car, and I see the front end of that engine with that belt on it around every pulley, exactly like it's supposed to be. And I hear God says, you go bless her. So he said, that's all he said. He showed me that picture. He said, I turned around. I drove back up there and I said, ma'am, I believe I can put that belt on for you now. He said, I, in 30 seconds, he said, I had that belt around every pulley and tight and had her car running. I said, ma'am, now you can go. You can drive your own car home. She said, how come you spent 30 minutes and you couldn't do it and you come back and did it in 30 seconds? She said, because I was praying for you as I left and asking God to bless you and he showed me a picture in my windshield of that diagram of how to put that belt on. That's how I knew how to put it on. She said, she looked at me and said, I don't believe that. Although she saw it happen, she didn't believe it. Isn't that amazing? Why do you think God told us to pray for even our enemies? Pray for those that despitefully use you. Because when you do, He'll show up and do something just like He did for Him. And that man said, Thurman, I only got to hear God's voice one time, but it was that day when I was asking him to bless her. When he showed me that picture, he said, you bless her. You bless her. Isn't that amazing how God wants to do wonderful things? But he tells us, you know, the average person, you get a nasty note, you get in your car and say, well, I hope something bad happens to you too, sister. How many Christians would talk like that, huh? How many of us may have done that as Christians? You know, we don't do it God's way. See, God never says, speak evil of somebody, does He? He says, edify them. You know, build them up. How hard is it to do that 24-7? Just a little difficult. But when you do it God's way, what does God do? He blesses you and He blesses the people. Now then, we go on down here, and he says here, after he says, Rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Not giving heed to these Jewish fables and commandments of men, 
that turn from the truth. You know the reason I think there's so many commandments? I think about the people that I sit and talk to about the Bible. And they think they know something about the Bible. And I said, well, where did you find that? And they said, well, my grandmother, which was one of the best Christian women I ever know, she went to church every time the doors opened. She told me that. I said, but did you ever read that in the Bible for yourself? Well, no. But if Grandma said it, then it's got to be true. Well, let me tell you, that's not true. Grandma could very easily be deceived. So you need to get in the Word for yourself and you need to find out when people make these fables and these commandments that he's talking about here, you need to find out, are these things from God? Are they in His Word? Or is it just something somebody's telling you? And how are you going to find out? Get in the book and read it. And you know, you can get in this book and you can read this book, I mean, for years. And some of it you can read hundreds of times. And then all of a sudden one day you read that same verse again. All of a sudden it's got a brand new meaning. I mean, it jumps off the page. You think, that can't be. But you look at it again you think, that's what that's saying. That's what that's saying. God will reveal this book to you in His time frame. According to your diligence. This is like this friend of mine. He is a... I mean, this guy has a Ph.D. in computer science. He went to some of the best schools up in the north in Washington, D.C. area and all through there. He was one of the sharpest sharpest engineers that I have ever dealt with in all the time I was out there in the workforce. He was extremely brilliant. But I couldn't get him to read the Bible. His wife was lost. And so, in the process of talking with the two of them, and, of course, she worked for the company, too. And in the process of calling her and talking to her, every time I'd call, I'd talk to her a little about Jesus. But one day, I got to lead her to Christ over the telephone, got her saved. Then after she got saved and she started talking to him about Jesus, I told him, I said, y'all need to sit down in the evenings at home and you need to be the spiritual leader you're supposed to be and you ought to read the Word of God together at least the New Testament. You know, I mean, all the books he studied, the New Testament would be nothing for them. So, three or four or five months later, he called me and said, Hey, Thurman, we finally finished the New Testament. We read it all the way through one time. I said, Well, fantastic. That's great. I said, Well, you know, he said something about something. I said, Well, let's pray about that then, and let's stand on this promise from God's Word. And he said, Okay. And so I quoted the promise. He said, Like, for instance, like Matthew 18, 19, you know, if two of us on earth agree about anything, he said, where'd you get that? I said, well, Matthew 18, 19. It, it, it says that? I said, well, yeah, I thought you said you read it. He said, well, I did. And you just told me that you read it. I mean, you, you, you understood it and you got it. But see, he just thought he got it. He said, I'll have to go back and look that up again. Well, he did. He went back and looked it up again. Next time he called... And we was going to pray about something. And so I got to, every time he'd call, of course, he's one of the executive VPs in our corporate office. I, whatever time he called me for information, I said, well, let's go to the king and ask him and let's pray about this. And I said, now let's stand on this promise. And every time I'd go to stand on the promise, he said, where'd you find those promises? 
I said, I thought you said you read God's Word. And I thought you said you had it. He said, how could I miss all that? I said, it's real easy. We've all been there and done it. Every one of us. See, you can read the New Testament a hundred times and not get it. You know, you only get it as God reveals it to you. But the more you get in it and the more you study it, the more He will reveal to you. He says to them that diligently seek Me, I will reveal Myself to them. So if you kind of flippantly read the Bible, you ain't going to get much, are you? No. I don't know about you, but I want a lot. You know, that, now, this is one of the places where I'm a glutton. I want to gorge myself on the Word. You know, that's not going to make me hurt. It's not going to make me fat physically. It's going to make me fat spiritually. And I want to be fat spiritually. Whoa! I want that Word in me. Then he says now, that those commandments of men, they will turn from the truth. Wow. It'll turn from the truth. Unto the pure, all things are pure. You know what it means as Christians to be pure? You know how difficult that is every day to walk and be pure? Unto the pure, all things are pure. As I've told you many times, I take a 50-gallon barrel of water and it's clean. And then you go out in the septic tank and take that one spoonful of septic out of the septic tank and drop it down in that barrel. If you know I dropped that in there, who wants to drink out of that barrel of water? Nobody. But yet when I take the lid off and stir it up, you can look down in there. It looks clean. But if you don't know, you might drink out of that. But if you know, you ain't going to drink out of that. Because you know... There's impurities in that. Let me tell you today, that's why you need to pray over every mouthful of water or anything else you drink. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't think there's anything in the world that's pure except Jesus. I mean, everything on this earth is contaminated. I mean, even this water we have up here, this is some of the cleanest. They filter and everything, that water, more than any you can imagine. But I'm going to tell you, if you were to really take an electron microscope and check it, it's probably not 100% pure itself. You know, it's got impurities in it. Because you know that water right there? You know how long that water's been here? You know how long that water's been here on this earth? There ain't no new water. There's no new water. God made the oceans of water... And He brings it up in a vaporization process, brings it up into a cloud, brings it over, takes the salt out of it, 
and puts nitrogen in it as he drops it through the air to fertilize it. And it falls upon the ground, runs on the ground, runs down in the ground. We drink it, goes through our body, back out, back into the ground, back to the rivers, back underground, back in the ocean, and back to cycle again. And the same water that Abraham drank is the same water we're drinking. There ain't no new water. Did you ever stop to think about that? Is that right, Ty? It's not new, is it? It's just refiltered. And it's just reused. So when you get that bottle of water, Abraham might have drank that bottle of water. <laughs> Jesus might have drank that water. Praise the Lord. So you don't have any idea, but when you get it, when it comes out of your faucet, it's not brand new. It's been well used and cycled many times. See, so what you, now that I, I hated to ruin your whole day. <laughs> See, what you didn't know didn't hurt you, did it? <laughs> now that you know, you think, oh my. Now, now that you'll pray over your water before you drink your water. Yes. <laughs> See, that's why I pray over mine. I already knew those things. <laughs> Oh, when they teach you these things, when Solomon said there's nothing new on the earth, that's what he meant. There's nothing new. It's cycled and recycled. And cycled and recycled. There's nothing new on the earth. But he says, unto the pure, all things are pure. But them that are defiled... Those that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. Nothing. But even their minds and conscience is defiled. You know, when you really when you really read the book slowly and think about what it's saying, it's a whole new message, isn't it? Now for those of us or that are supposed to be pure. Do you know any unpure Christians? Oh, yeah. Probably that hit every one of us somewhere. But, you know, I would like to see us as a church get to the point where we are purifying ourselves so that everything we do every day is 100% pure. You agree with me back there too, don't you? Can you imagine how good life could be if just the Christians on this earth, all of us could walk in 100% purity every day. 100% love. Can you imagine how, how good life would be? You know? But that's what, that's what our goal is. That's what we need to be doing. You know? That's just like Cheryl. She's gonna, really going to have her work cut out for her the uh, next few days. Just recently, God has showed her that she had an uncle that was her dad's brother. And, and I believe that's what, Uncle Bailey, yeah. And it was her dad's brother. And the Lord showed her. She comes to me and said, the Lord told me that Uncle Bailey's not going to live until the beginning of the year. He's going to die. And sure enough, last week he had a stroke and he's on his deathbed. And Wednesday, technically, they're going to unplug him. Or at least that's what they say. Or at least someday in the very near future. So now she is going to have to go into a family that she's been born in and raised in, that they all know. I mean, she's as close as that family as you can get. 
And here a while back, the Lord told her she needed to go tell Uncle Daly about him. And so she told me, I'm going to have to buy an airplane ticket to go to California. I said, what if you do? You just have to go. God tells you to go. He'll take care of it. But God had a family reunion and brought them all here. And so she went and she talked to them about Jesus. And she was not very well received. Her own family didn't want to hear it. Uncle Daly didn't want to hear it. I don't believe in that junk. You know, don't believe in it. What are you going to do? Is your old priest to me again? You know, he said some pretty bad things to her. But yet here she is, his brother's daughter. And he loves her. But he loved her until she starts talking to him about Jesus. Then he don't want to hear it. And many of them in the family really give her some heavy flack because she's telling people about the kingdom of God. See, she's got a heart. She don't want nobody to die and go to hell. You know, she wants them to know Jesus. And that's why you and me have to walk into the snake pit of hell and tell people about Jesus. And if we don't do it, guess who's going to do it? Nobody. And the devil's going to be laughing all the way as he takes those people into the pit of hell. You've got to do it. So now then, that he's on his deathbed, technically I think he's dead already. He's just being kept alive with a machine. But she's going out there, her and her daughter, uh, in the morning. Early in the morning. They're going out there. They're going to stay a few days. And they're going to talk to the people, the family again about Jesus. So, I can tell you for sure, there's a lot of devils in that family like there are ever family. Every one of you probably got people in your family that's got devils. You don't hardly ever run into one that don't. You know, most of them got devils. And some of them is your own mate. Or, you know, or your own children or whatever. You know, so. But all you can do is pray for them and tell them what Jesus said. But God holds you and me accountable for telling them about this pure love that He has given to us. He holds us accountable. <clears throat> they profess that they know God. Oh. Seemed to me like I heard that same thing. Oh, I was baptized a Catholic when I was a baby, so I'm okay. Now I can take God's name in vain, and I can drink and smoke and do all the stuff I want to. I'm okay when I die. I'm going to heaven. Who gives a blankety blank anyway? Your people talk like that all the time. Isn't that amazing? You're okay. Yeah. You know, you was baptized a Catholic or you went to the Baptist church when you was 12 years old and went down that aisle and they baptized you in that water. And after that, after all, it's all done. Now we go out in the world and make a living and have lots of fun. Once saved, always saved. You know, we can live like hell if we want to, do what we want to. And Jesus understands, you know, we're going to get to go to heaven. I'll tell you, that ain't true. That ain't true. you got to live for Jesus. You've got to be pure. You've got to change. And you and I got to start telling people these things. You've got to tell them. You know, we may not have long. You know, I mean, we don't know. Just like, I mean, whenever they had that family reunion, just a short while back. You know, I mean, he was a picture of health. He was coming, although he's old. You know, he was strong, you know. 
down here having a good time and everything. And a few days later, he's on his deathbed. It's over. How long does it take to die? Just that long. Just like the Word of God says, all of us are nothing but just mere mortals. I mean, you can be the picture of health today and you can be gone tomorrow. I think about my sister. Somebody says, well, you know, when I get old, then I'll make Jesus Lord of my life. But I think of my sister, which is one of the best little Christian girls I know. She wasn't quite 22 years old. And a carload of drunks passed a truck coming up a hill. She had been out to a drive-in movie and hit her head on at not quite 22. And she went right through the dash and through that windshield, cut her little body all to pieces and killed her. She bled to death right there. 22. Two years old. Hey, you're driving down the road. Maybe she's she's one of the finest little Christian girls I know. I mean, she's a whole lot better Christian than I was when she was young. I mean, she went to church. She loved God. She wrote little articles about Jesus. She was just such a sweet little thing. And I thought, boy, this is really, really a strong Christian girl. I had no idea that that night when she went out to the drive-in with her girlfriend that they would never come home alive again. You know? So it don't make no difference, young or old. You can be the picture of health and you can get killed. We hope it don't happen to none of us, but we any one of us could die tonight before we get home. You know that? You know how easy that would be? Yeah. I was watching a video the other day about the Blue Angels when they was practicing. And you know how they do this? One comes flying in front and the other five are back in formation a little bit. And you know how they put that smoke and all that stuff? This day on this video that I was watching, the lead man and the guy going across were out of sync by about one-tenth of a second. And they hit at 400 miles an hour and both airplanes blew all two pieces right in the air. And that was all on video. I saw that up close. I thought, here's two men flying these pieces of machinery that have trained themselves for years to get to the Blue Angels. One little tiny mistake, and two men and two pieces of machinery is totally annihilated in a flash of a second. You think those men had any idea when they got in them airplanes that day that was their last day? No. They're young. They're full of vim, vitality. No problem. We just, we've got this down to a science. And they do. But that day there was a fraction of a second off. And they hit. And when they did, bam, it was over. I mean, just the other day, we were going up to Chinook, Kansas. And we're flying along in Ty's airplane, all of us. We're only flying 150 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, a jet, 250 miles an hour, comes. We look off over there, and there he is. And we're going this way, and he's going that way. And it didn't seem like three seconds, did it, Ty? Until he was completely in front of us, way out yonder. Yeah. I mean, that's how quick, if you're at the wrong place, how quick you can die. You know, when things are moving like that, you've got to pay attention. I mean, you drive down that road out there at 60, 70 miles an hour. Yeah. How would you like to have been in that chase with Officer Garcia? No. I wouldn't have wanted to have been in that car, would you? No. I wouldn't have wanted to have been in that thing at all. No way. 
But just think of the intersections he went through in that few minutes. What if anything had happened wrong? Wow. He could have got killed. I mean, and somebody else. God. I mean, that's why these guys need prayer every day. You know. Wow. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him. Now, we know people like that today, don't we? But in works they deny Him, being abominable and disobedient and under every good work a reprobate. You know, I know it breaks the hearts of lots of mothers and fathers, but you have no idea how many mothers and fathers have come to me and said, would you pray for my son? He said he got saved when he was 12 or 18 or whatever. But after they come here for a while and they learn the truth, they now realize that because he's out there living with a girl out of wedlock or he's stealing from his company or he's lying or whatever, I think about just like Christie's restaurant. Here she's got all these people, Cheryl's daughter, Got all these people who have to work for her. Somebody figured out a way in the software to do something that would delete a, a, a transaction, a cash transaction, and so they could show that they got the money and they get the money and the people get a receipt and all that stuff. But when they pay, then they can delete that cash transaction. At the end of the day, it didn't show up on the records. But what the people working there didn't know that the computer had a second set of records it kept that nobody could change. See, computers and people that write software are smart. They write things that nobody knows is there but them. And so then one day, she had a little girl go to work for her that was her friend. And one of the men working there told her how to cheat the system so she could get money. So she said, that would be stealing from my boss and she's my best friend or one of my good friends. So she went to Christy and told her. Well, they never thought about checking these back records. They went back and checked and found out that in the last year, about maybe around $10,000 had been stolen from them by different employees. But yet, when they done the transaction, their name was there. The record was there. They knew exactly how much each one of them had stolen. So now they presented this to them. Some of them had already left the company. But they presented it to them and said, you either pay us back or we file charges. Isn't that amazing? Is there people that profess to be Christians that's reprobates when it comes to the purity of God? Why do we do that as Christians? I'll tell you why we do it. Because we listen to the wrong voice. There's two voices talking out there. God's Word and the enemy. And He is deceiving you to listen to the wrong voice. And so, that's what gives us, the church, a rotten name. Oh, Sermon, he's a Christian? Give me a break. If that guy's a Christian, I don't want to be one. 
Now see, that's not the way I want to be known. I want to be known. Thurman's a Christian? Wow! With what he's got and where he walks, that's what I want. Now that's the way I want to be known. I want everybody to want what I got. Because I got Jesus. That's the same way you should be living. When somebody comes in contact with you, you should be living such a pure, clean life, walking. The police officers down there, you should say, boy, that was a good chase until I happened to think about praying in the name of Jesus. When I asked the Lord to stop him, he stopped him. Every police officer on the force ought to know how that happened. And some of them will laugh at you. Oh, yeah, it's just a coincidence. I mean, you, you ain't going to convince them all. But some of those that are police officers that love God, they might say, wait a minute now. He prayed and God did that for him. And so, when they get in one of those chases, instead of just doing nothing, they'll be praying. You know, because I'm telling you, that's where the power is at. You know that, don't you? I mean, with God, nothing's a coincidence, is it? No, not with God. But you can change the world you live in with prayer. If I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be up here tonight, I'll tell you for sure. I'd be doing something else. You know, if I didn't think, if I didn't know with all my heart when I prayed that God hears my prayer and changes things, I'd say, hey, I definitely wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I'd be doing something else. Because, I mean... There ain't nothing. I mean, I'm going to tell you. Here I am, almost a 68-year-old man. When this 46-year-old girl called me yesterday and told me her praise report, you know what I did with her on the phone? I cried with her. I mean, I was so blessed getting to be a part of a young woman's life that changed her life forever. I cried with her over this. I couldn't help myself. I thought, God... So you let an old country, or young country boy, <laughs> forgive me, Lord, a young country boy like me be a part of a ministry that gets people healed and delivered. Yeah, Eldon, you got here. You didn't hear the testimony. The results, the, Susan's doctor checked her totally and completely yesterday with every test, which is about 30, and everything was perfect. From the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. Everything. No viruses, no toxins, no nothing. No metals. Everything was perfect. And her doctor was ecstatic climbing off the walls. You know, that's, just, that's what God's power does, isn't it? All of us prayed for Susan, you know. I mean, Ty and Cheryl prayed for her. Me and Cheryl prayed for her. Eldon and Nancy prayed for her. But the thing about it is, the Lord says, pray about everything. I am the healer. And when we pray in faith, He hears our prayers and He answers prayer. So, But He answers prayer to the group of people He doesn't answer their prayer for. It's a group of people we've been reading about right here. These people that do not purify themselves from sin. These people that say the wrong things. These people that go around teaching a lie. He don't hear your prayer. You know, so you go around preaching, well, I don't want to preach the truth because nobody will come to church. You know, I want to say things that make them feel good where they can do what they want to do so they'll come to church so the offering will be big. This is what he's talking about right here. They're doing this for filthy lucre, money. 
We want a big church with lots of money. That's what we want. So to do that, we've got to tickle your ears with good stuff. It's okay for you to lie a little. or It's okay for you to go ahead and move in with your girlfriend before you get married. God understands. You know, and they say, well, gee, I like that church, so I'll go down there. I enjoy my sin. And they say, my sin's okay, so I don't, I'll go down there. That's a, all this whole set of verses we're talking about here. This is talking about these kind of people. And what, what do you say has got to be done? They've got to be stopped. They've got to be stopped. Rebuke these kind of people sharply. You see me do something, you know, you feel it's wrong, God's Word? Don't you walk up to me and tap me on the shoulder and say, Pastor, come in the back office, i got to talk to you real kind and gently. Real, I don't know, I don't want to offend you, but I think maybe you might be doing something wrong. You said, hey, you walk up and say, hey, right here says something and you're doing it, you're stealing right here, stop it. Jesus told you to. I remember one day I sat down by a Baptist preacher. He just made a statement. He said, you know, and he was preaching out of Romans 8, 1. Where it says, those that are led by the Spirit, you know, they're not under the law. In fact, let me go back over there and read that to you so I don't misquote that. It's been so long since this happened. Let me go to Romans 8. I said something to him about it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And he stopped right there. He said, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. And he preached all around that and said, you know, to me, what you do, there's no condemnation. I went up to him after that was message was over, I sat down beside him and said, brother, I'm going to tell you, I don't think God likes to be misquoted. He said, what are you talking about? I said, Romans 8.1. I said, you misquoted that verse. He said, what do you mean? I said, it says in the King James, therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He said, but that's not in the translation I use. He said, I went back and checked the originals, and it's not in the original. I said, okay, I have read those same originals. But I said, let's read a little bit further down. I said, let's see what it says. For the law or the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness, in the likeness of sinful flesh and, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I said, that's in every translation. I read them all. I said, so he's confirming in verse 4 what he said in verse 1. And he might have left it out in some translation, but he didn't leave it out in verse 4. And we read down in his, and he looked at it and he said, okay, I stand corrected. I said, you have no idea the damage you may have done to the people here today when you told them that there's no condemnation to you if you're in Christ Jesus. I said, you can be a Christian and live under condemnation. I see them all the time. But they're Christians that walk not after the flesh, 
but after the Spirit. Those are the ones that are not condemned. If you're walking according to the Spirit of God, you're walking in the Spirit of life, there's no condemnation because you're loving God with all your heart and you're loving your neighbors yourself. And there ain't no condemnation there. But you step out of the Spirit and step over into the flesh just a few minutes. And I'm telling you, you can, be, you can come under condemnation in a hurry, can't you, brother? You know how difficult it is to walk in the Spirit 24-7? It's almost impossible. In fact, I'm not sure it is possible. I don't know if you've mastered it or not. I haven't. I have not mastered it yet. But Jesus did it. Yes, sir, He did it. He did it. So we know it's possible, don't we? At least we got a goal to shoot for, don't we, brother? we got a goal. We know that's an obtainable goal that we can shoot for. And I'm telling you, it's not easy. I will guarantee you that. And if you think you can't be put there, you just let you get under the right kind of pressure at the right time and you find out what happens. You'd be extremely tired or had a long day and you're already wore out and everything else. And then you're on the way home and, and you think, okay, God, 400 things went wrong today. There ain't another thing could possibly go wrong. And all of a sudden, you look up and the light changed and you hit the brake and the guy hits you in the rear end. And you say, oh, no. You jump out and say, you idiot, can't you watch what you're doing? Now, that's a Christian. <laughs> I know no Christian ever done that in their life. But we have. And we do. Don't we? How difficult is it to walk in the Spirit 24-7? I ain't met Him yet other than my Savior. Have you, brother? It's just Jesus. But at least we're shooting for that goal. We're shooting for that goal. Father, help us as we try our best to walk in the Spirit. Because we know there is no condemnation to those that walk in the Spirit. So, Lord, what a... What a tremendous goal it is to shoot for. But it's an obtainable goal. And if we can do it, and we can. With your help, we can. Without your help, it's impossible. But with your help, Lord, so we ask you to help us to walk in the Spirit, to walk in your love, to preach true doctrine from your Word. Anything you say, we walk in it. If you didn't say it, we don't want to walk there. And we ask you to bless us. We ask you to reveal the truth to us so that we'll know the truth and that truth will truly set us free. Thank you, Father, for your word. Bless it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.